0: into the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen uh, probably in another week or so. Uh, but until then, the, the map in your hand will help you a little bit. And we'll be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 in your Bibles. Uh, we, uh, we saw that uh, in, in the last chapter, Acts 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, said one to another, let's, let's go back to all the churches we started on our first trip. Let's see how the brethren are doing. Let's do what we can to strengthen them. And uh, a, a schism arose because Barnabas wanted to take his nephew with him. His name was John Mark. If you remember, uh, he went on the first journey, but uh, just a few months into the trip, John Mark turned around and went home. The Bible never gave a reason for that. He just just quit and uh, left Paul and Barnabas on their own. But now Barnabas wants to take John Mark on the second trip. Paul didn't think that was a good plan. And uh, if you look in, in chapter 15, verse 39, the contention was so sharp between them, between Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. So Barnabas and his nephew uh, go to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from. Uh, This is the last time that we see Barnabas mentioned in the book of Acts. Paul refers to him once in Galatians chapter 2, and that is historical, talking about the time that they traveled together. Uh, We we don't know anything from Scripture as to the future and and the end result of Barnabas' life. Uh, I don't believe for a moment that he walked out of the will of God. I don't don't believe for a moment that he backslid. Uh, One of the reasons I believe that, as we've said, is his nephew, John Mark, turned out exceedingly well. Uh, at the end of Paul's life, while he was in prison in 2 Timothy 4, if you remember, he said, take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Even Paul changed his mind about that young man. And John Mark is also the human that God used to to uh, pen the gospel of Mark, Um so just because the scripture doesn't tell us any more about Barnabas doesn't mean that God wrote him off or set him on a shelf. It's just that the spotlight is on the Apostle Paul and, uh, and instead of on Barnabas. Barnabas has a new, or I'm sorry, Paul has a new partner. His name is Silas. We looked last week in chapter 16, and uh, in this chapter, in these first few verses, we saw that, that uh, Paul acquires yet another helper, if you will, he's going to be a younger man like John Mark who will take up that, that part of the ministry. Verse 1, then came he to Derby and Lystra. Lystra is where Paul was stoned. It's his third time there. First time he went, he got stoned. Right after he got stoned, the Bible says uh, he stood up on his feet and went back into the city. And the next day they left and went on. And uh, then on their Way back to Antioch, he stopped at Lystra again. Uh, I've said before, uh, I admire Paul because if that was me, Lystra is the last place on my places to go visit. Uh, But Paul was a very bold guy, had nothing to fear, uh, being in the will of God. And so this is his third time uh, going back to that church in Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed but his father was a Greek. Terminology there leads us to believe his father was a lost man. Uh, We know from 2 Timothy 1, both his mom and grandmother uh, were saved. Probably during Paul's first visit through there, they had gotten saved. Uh, They transferred that, that faith to this young man named Timothy, verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra, And Iconium, these were cities that were sort of like Meriden, Wallingford, very close in proximity. People did a lot of business dealings back and forth. Neither one were large places. Uh, And this young man, Timothy, had a very, very good testimony uh, in in both of these cities. Uh, We talked last week about the importance of testimony, the fact that every one of us has one. Uh, all of the young people in the other building, whether they're the children all the way up to the teenagers and everybody working with them, we all have a testimony. Our testimony is of our own making, whether it's a good one, whether it's a bad one. Uh, This young man had a very good testimony. Verse three, him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul just felt led of the Lord to bring this young man with him. Timothy would become very important in Paul's life. We'll we'll see his name pop up an awful lot through the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, Throughout Paul's writings uh, to the church at Corinth, Paul recommended Timothy to them. He said, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul had complete confidence in this young man. Uh, and everywhere Timothy went, his testimony only grew stronger. When Paul left the church at Ephesus, a great soul-winning church that we're going to study in in uh, the next few weeks to come, uh, Ephesus was a church that God used to put the gospel throughout all of the region called Asia. Look on your map at that red section. That is the modern day country of Turkey, or at least part of it—about half of the modern day country of Turkey, that was what was referred to as Asia. Uh, the seven churches in Revelation uh, were all located in that region. Uh, can you find Ephesus uh, on the seacoast there? Uh, let's see, I found it. Anybody, everybody found Ephesus yet? Okay. Um, Ephesus was the epicenter while Paul was pastor there for about two and a half years. They spread the gospel, the Bible says, till all that lived in Asia heard the word of God. They did it without the internet. They did it without any kind of television, radio, without the printing press, with gospel tracks. It was just through word of mouth, those believers spreading the gospel. Uh, that church at Ephesus became the soul-winning hub, uh, and a lot of those churches that we read about in Revelation were undoubtedly started Uh, by people that came from the city of Ephesus. So that church in Ephesus was a great church. Paul left Timothy there to pastor that church. That's how much confidence uh, that he had in this particular young man, Timothy. Back to Acts 16, verse three, him would Paul uh, have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they uh, knew all that his father was a Greek. This is one of those Verses, I've always had a little question mark beside. If you remember in chapter 15, they had the first big controversy in the New Testament church. Um, They had people from Jerusalem showed up in Antioch and they preached that unless the Gentiles were circumcised, they could not get saved. You had to become, in their teaching, you had to become a practicing Jewish person or you couldn't even be saved. Uh, And of course, Paul argued and debated with them. He and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem. They took it before the church there. Paul gave testimony to how God had used them with the Gentiles. uh, And none of those people had become Jewish people in order to be saved. Peter stood up and talked about how he went to the Samaritans, how he went to Cornelius, the the Gentiles. The Holy Ghost had fallen on those people. They spake with tongues, that sign gift, confirming that this was of God. And he said, and not a one of them became Jews, and yet they received the Holy Spirit as we are. Then James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, he had the authority in that church, Stood up and gave his, uh, if you will, summation of the whole thing that uh, that the uh, the Gentiles did not have to become Jewish in order to get saved, but the Gentiles should be staying away from everything related to idolatry. There ought to be that that change in their lives, that change of direction, and so forth. So Paul spearheaded. Uh, The biblical side of that argument, Uh, the Judaizers are not done. They're going to follow him around. You'll see them popping up all through the book of Acts. So now all of a sudden, Paul is back in Lystra. He's got this young man, Timothy. His mom is a Jew. His dad's a Greek. And uh, Paul argued at Jerusalem, uh, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But the first thing he does when he meets Timothy is he has him get circumcised. Um, Does anybody else find that a little bit confusing? Okay, the only explanation in the Bible gives for that, look at verse three again. He took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Um, It wasn't that that Paul was caving in on the Bible's teaching now uh, about the uh, Jews and Gentiles. It was because everybody in those, those regions knew who Timothy was, and Paul's ministry always started in a synagogue uh, when one was available. The Jews in that quarter knew of Timothy, and they knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy was going to have a hard time ministering to them, and Paul evidently saw it as a matter of wisdom at that point for Timothy to be circumcised because he, his mother was Jewish, so he had that heritage as a part of it uh, in order to keep the door open with the Jews in those quarters. Uh, this was not Paul's standard operation. Uh, other Gentiles that served with him, uh, Paul didn't do that. Uh, keep your place here and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Paul is relating some of his personal history here. Um, Then he says in uh, verse, let's start at verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He said, I was letting them know what I preached, uh, making sure I was doing things correctly, but neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So this guy Titus that he took with him, who would later serve as as did Timothy, uh, was a Greek. Paul didn't require him to be circumcised. But Timothy, he did because of his Jewish heritage. And that is all the more detail we get in the Bible. I don't, I don't know of any way to come up with a more plausible reason for that. There are some things I think we just have to trust to the Lord, and we'll find out when we get to heaven the full reason. But in Paul's mind, uh, at that time, in order for Timothy to have a viable Uh, ministry in his home area uh, they saw that that was something that he he, uh, should do and we'll leave that up to the Lord as to whether that was the right or wrong decision verse 4 as they went through the cities they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem that's about abstaining from meats offered to idols, uh, from, from uh, drinking blood, uh, things like that. Anything associated with idolatry, uh, with fornication, those were those decrees. And they're telling the churches these things. And verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith. That was their reason for this trip. Uh, and they're doing that. And look at this, and increased in number how often? Daily, these churches were seeing people saved on a daily basis. That means they were going soul winning on a daily basis, um, and and God was doing a great work. And as churches get established, that's what happens. And so these are the churches they've already been to. Verse number six. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, so. Just take a a, a little moment, look at your map. Phrygia is the region bordering the red and green section on the map, okay? Uh, That's that's kind of the area they started in uh, on their first journey, and then they veered to the east to uh, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and so forth. Uh, So they've strengthened the churches there, um, and now they wanted to go into Asia, and the Bible makes a strange statement. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. God said, no, um, wouldn't let them go there. Um, th- so after they were come to Mycenae, uh, notice that's in the north. They're sort of traveling west now and they're, they're skirting the very northern reaches of this region called Asia they assayed, that word means attempted to go into Bithynia, and that's to the northeast, that's the light green section, Bithynia and Pontus. How many are finding that on your map? Okay, so Paul is trying to get the gospel. Uh, He later stated he always wanted to go in, in places where Christ was not named. He never wanted to build on another man's ministry. But again, verse seven, but the spirit, suffered them or allowed them not. Now, we're not sure what the Lord did to let Paul and Silas and Timothy know uh, that they couldn't go to Asia. Uh, It might have been just a a deep conviction in their heart and God said, that's not where I want you to be. Maybe that peace, that passive understanding was completely pulled away from them on that. Maybe God just put roadblocks in front of them uh, and just kind of closed doors. Uh, maybe their travel plans just kept falling through. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that other than the fact that God was saying no. God sometimes does that. We know that God answers prayer. One of the things we've got to realize that sometimes God's answer to our prayer is no. And Paul is, is finding that out now. Paul wants to do a good thing. Um, He's not wanting to go to these places to make a fortune or or to get rich or anything like that. He's not going for any sinful reason. He wants to share Christ. Um, In our minds, it'd be, yeah, but that's what we're supposed to do, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yet the Lord said, no, Asia is not where I want you to do that. And no, Bithynia is not where I want you to do that. Eventually, the gospel would get to those places. Um, but uh, this wasn't the time, and, and at this point in time, Paul wasn't the person to do that. Um, verse 8, and they passing by Mysia came to Troas. So they're following that red line across the northern part of Asia uh, through the region of Mysia, and they're on the coast now in a town called Troas. Okay, so they've kind of made their way through and it doesn't seem like they stopped during this time uh, to plant any churches anywhere. The Lord's just not giving them the liberty to do that. Uh, We're gonna stop there at verse eight for just a moment and consider this this matter of the Lord stopping them, the Lord closing doors, the Lord saying no. Um, I I have... uh, wide margin Bible that I I use for this particular study and as I was looking at this portion of scripture and praying through it uh, seeking what God would have me to learn from it I jotted down a couple of notes as a reminder to myself the first one is this God always has a plan did you know that God always has a plan Uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall do what? He shall direct thy path. God always has a plan. He always has a path that he wants us to follow. Uh, we're looking at the map here that Paul and Barnabas, or I'm sorry, Paul and Silas now, uh, followed on their second missionary journey. You understand that map was... Uh, or, or that, that path was mapped out by God. They are following God's path. God always has a plan. Second thing I wrote down is this. God's plan is not always our plan, even when our intentions are good. Sometimes God says, I, I realize you want to do something good. Uh, God's not angry with us at that, at that but God, God has a way of saying, That's not my plan. That's not my plan for you or that's not my plan now. Um, There's where the rub comes in because oftentimes we think that God ought to accept our plan. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Does not the book of Proverbs teach us that? Not once but twice. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Uh, he said, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, Proverbs is talking about a person who they've decided what's right and wrong, and they're ignoring the Bible, and uh, their way is going to lead them to death and destruction. But uh, even, even good people, um, even surrendered people, we see a plan and say, I think this is a good idea. We ought to do it. Turn, if you would, please, to 2 Chronicles 17. Keep your place in Acts. We'll be back there. Second Chronicles 17. David, good man or bad man? By the way, go to 1 Chronicles 17 instead. David, good man or bad man? Good man. Did he love God? Yes. What was, what was the description God gave about David's spirituality? A man after God's own heart. Was David a perfect man? No, there is no such human being save the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And David had his ups and downs. David had some faults and some failures. But by and large, David lived his life seeking the will of God. We had already seen that uh, in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. He referred to David as a man who had served his own generation by the will of God. So David was a good man. Chapter 17 in verse 1, David's been established as king uh, for quite some time. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house, Hiram, the king of Tyre, had helped build a palace in Jerusalem for David. Um, and David was the first king who made Jerusalem the capital city. He's got a a bona fide palace. He's not just living somewhere in a house. He's got a real palace. That David said to Nathan the prophet, lo, I dwell in an house of cedars. He lived in a grand place, but the ark of the covenant, covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Now the tabernacle, as it was in Moses' day, um, was not in full construction. They had only had the Ark of the Covenant. It was outside the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it was in a tent all by itself. Uh, again, the Tabernacle wasn't constructed, so there was no outer courtyard with the, with all the you know the 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 brazen altar and the laver. They didn't have the holy place and the holy of holies. They just had the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. Okay, David said, look. I'm dwelling in this palace, this house of cedars, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord our God is just outside the city in a house of curtains. Verse two, then Nathan said unto David, do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. David, uh, I'm sorry, Nathan gave what he thought was genuine counsel. He, he knew David uh, was suggesting I ought to build a house a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, Nathan in his mind said, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing to want to do. Nathan didn't pray about it. And he offered counsel without any thought, without any prayer, because it sounded like a good thing. Beloved, just because it sounds like a good thing doesn't mean it's God's will. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't mean it's God's will. But Nathan gave David that counsel, and I'm sure David's heart soared uh, because he really wanted to do something good for his God. Verse 3, it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, go and tell David, my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. So Nathan is finding out, i, I got to go back and tell him I gave him some bad counsel. Uh, that that's not what God wants. And David is going to have to hear from God, no, you don't get to build me a house. I don't want you to do that. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent. That tabernacle that was built in Moses' day, uh, that tabernacle was uh, 500 plus years old. They had replaced those curtains many times over just through wear and tear, uh, that type of thing. He said, I've gone from tent to tent, from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I've walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God said, did I mention anybody or tell anybody, uh, hey, you need to build me a, a, a wooden house. You need to build me a temple. Now, therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David Thus saith the Lord of hosts I took thee from the sheepcote, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also, I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them anymore as at the beginning. So he's reviewing David's personal history along with the history of his nation. He said, look, I, I brought you from being a shepherd, and I made you king, shepherd over my people. Um, I, I've blessed uh, my people. Uh, I've given them a land. Uh, And I've ordained them a place and I'm going to protect them since the verse 10. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee an house. Um, So God is saying, uh, I'm just telling you, I've blessed you. And I'm gonna keep blessing you and I'm gonna give you complete victory over all your enemies and I am gonna build you a house. Not talking about a physical building now, talking about a family lineage. I'm gonna build, if you will, what's referred to in the Bible as the house of David. It shall come to pass, verse 11, when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me an house. So I'm going I'm to build you a house, the house of David, a lineage. He said, and one of your sons is going to build me a house. That's, that's the way this is going to work. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him, that was before they're referring to King Saul. But I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever. His throne shall be established forevermore. Now you got a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So earlier that night, David and Nathan are having this conversation, and, and, and David is expressing uh, his, his desire to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant, a temple, a a dwelling place for God that that rivals or or exceeds his own palace. He said, it's just not right. I live in a palace and and the Ark of the Covenant's outside of town in in curtains. Uh, Nathan says, go do all that is in thine heart. The Lord is with thee. It was well meant, but it wasn't prayerfully given counsel. The same night, The Lord comes to Nathan and says, I need you to go back and straighten David out and tell him he's not going to build me a house. I never asked him to do that. I don't want him to do that. That's not what I've called him to do. The answer to David's request and desire is no. But I'm going to build him a house. And uh, after he's dead, one of his sons will build me a house. So David is not only getting no finding out somebody else is going to do it somebody else gets to and to David that was an honor to do something like that for his God and so forth most people don't like being told no um it just it just doesn't go over well uh, I enjoy living with three of my grandchildren soon to be four of them um, and I, I live upstairs. They call upstairs Papa's house. They don't realize it's all my house. Uh, but I live upstairs and they like to come up to see Papa in his house uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I, I hear what goes on downstairs and uh, occasionally Rob or Anna has to tell them no. And uh, Nathan, uh, he's just the cutest little kid. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, but don't let that cuteness fool you. That kid's got a temper that can scare the devil. Uh, When that kid gets mad and you cross him, I'm telling you, there's a rage can come out of him. That kid just needs to get saved. That's just all there is to it, that type of thing. He does not like being told no, Um, and most people are like that. That doesn't change with us when we become adults. It's not like all of a sudden we're okay with it. Um, especially if what we're being told no about is is what we think is a good thing. And again, this isn't one of those things where there's a way that seemeth right unto a man and it's a sinful way that David's justified or a, a person does. This is really a good thing. He wants to honor God, but God said no, okay? David now has to respond to this. Notice his response, verse 16. David, the king, came and sat before the Lord. He didn't stand before the Lord. He's not on his face before the Lord. He's not on his knees before the Lord. He just sits down in the Lord's presence. Uh, I'm not going to illustrate it because if I sit down, it is a little awkward for me to get back up again. Uh, So you'll just have to picture it in your mind. Um, One of the things this always tells me is David was comfortable in the presence of the Lord. David was very comfortable in his presence. He just sat before the Lord. I see David sitting down, maybe cross-legged, out out where the tabernacle was in this tent, um, or, or I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant was in this tent, and I just see David sitting down in the presence of the Lord. There's only one way you can be comfortable in the presence of the Lord like that, is you have to spend a lot of time there. For my birthday, uh, this past November, uh, my kids decided to give me a very unusual birthday present. Uh, there's a movie that was made like 34 years ago called The Princess Bride. Uh, how many? Yeah, I can tell all of the spiritual people. You know exactly what it is. How many have the lines all memorized? Well, they had a they had a showing of it over at the Oakdale Theater. Uh, and so forth. And my kids, uh, they they bought tickets for me to go and and to see this. And the guy that starred in it, Carrie Elwes, who played uh, uh, Wesley in there, was actually going to be there. Uh, and he was going to do a question and answer and stuff like that. And my trainer Sam went along with us and so forth. And it was kind of fun. There were you know about two, three, four thousand people there and all through the movie, everybody was quoting the lines together. We knew them by heart. I quoted part of the Princess Bride and Robin and anna 's wedding uh, for them, uh, that type of thing. Um, after it was over though, my kids had bought uh, two tickets and, and it turned out one for Robin, one for myself. We got VIP tickets and after it was over, we got to meet Carrie Elwes in person. I've got the picture to prove it. Uh, got to shake hands with him. We got to talk to him and, and all those kind of things. And, and it was kind of exciting. I've never met a movie star. It wasn't like the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of my life was meeting Jesus um, and, and so forth. But this was kind of a special moment uh, and so forth. Um, and he put us at ease. He was very easy to talk to. He seems like a very nice, very genuine type guy. But I can't say that I was really comfortable in his presence. You know, I, I was afraid I, w- you know, I was going to burp or I was going to do something stupid, say something stupid, that type of thing. Uh, because I just, I, I didn't know him, you know, and here's this famous guy and, and, and here's, you know, Rob and I and so forth. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was fun while it lasted uh, and so forth, but it, it uh, wasn't something that I'm used to, wasn't comfortable there. Um, David was so comfortable in the Lord's presence, he could just sit down and, and he was good. He had to spend a lot of time there. Are you and I that comfortable in the Lord's presence? It's not the heart of the message tonight, but it's, it's an amazing thought. David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hither? Part of the reason we don't like being told no is because we think we're somebody. We think we're so important, like how dare you tell me I don't get to say or do what I want to do, even with God. David didn't have that, that attitude. He said, who am I that you've brought me this far? I mean, really, God, who am I? David never got over the fact he was a shepherd. And yet this was a small thing in thine, oh, thine, in thine eyes, O oh God, that you brought me this far. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come. You've talked, you've talked about my house that you're going to establish all the way out into eternity that one of my descendants will rule upon the throne of Israel forever. And David understood that was a promise of the Messiah. He said, you've talked about me for a long while to come. Hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree. You've talked to me like I'm special, like I'm somebody, a man of high degree. O Lord God, what can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. Um, in an amazing, God knows everything there is about us and he still likes us, He still loves us, still cares. We know one bad thing about somebody else and we've written them off for, well, I was going to say for eternity, but when we get to heaven, that'll change, but we'll write them off for the rest of their life. Uh, David said, you know me. See, Bathsheba's in his past. Uh, He's messing up with his kids, Amnon and Absalom. That's all in the past. That's that's all, you know, water over the dam. He said, you've you've known everything about me. Um, He said, for thou knowest thy servant, O Lord, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears." So David is not taking no with bitterness. He's not throwing a tantrum. I can't believe you're not letting me do that. I'm just trying to show you that I love you and you're not going to let me do it and you're going to let somebody else take it from me and do that. And David's not playing the uh, let's, let's throw a tantrum in Walmart like a three-year-old. He's a grown, I've watched grown-ups throw tantrums and they're every bit as ridiculous as the baby or the, the, the toddler at Walmart. David's not doing that. David is sitting in awe before his God saying, you told me no, but I'm fine with it because you're God. You've already been better to me than I deserve. And even in telling me no, you've let me know you've got a bigger plan. You've got a better plan. And David is thinking, one of my descendants will be the Messiah ruling on the throne of Israel forever. What a humbling thought. And Then he said on top of that, my son, one of my sons, I don't know that he knew which one at this point, uh, it would be Solomon, is going to get to build God a house. I, I can't speak for any other dad in here. I think I speak for a number of you in this room. Um, I want my children to do more than I've done. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they do. And if they do, I'm not going to be jealous of them. I'm not going to be upset about that. I want them to outshine me in every way. I'm good with that. And that's the way that David was. And, and David just goes on in, in just complete uh, praise and prayer for the remainder of that chapter. Again, David had a plan. It was a good plan. It just wasn't God's plan. And when God said no, David didn't throw a fit. David stood in awe and he yielded. And and we don't have time because time is getting away from us. But if you read through the rest of 1 Chronicles, David spent the remaining years of his life amassing all of the things that Solomon would need to build a temple. David wasn't going to build it. Uh, but David David brought gold and jewels and stuff like that into the treasurer uh, treasury of the Lord. He'd been doing that all of his life, but he even increased it. He enlisted the people of Israel. Once he found out Solomon was the one that was going to take his place and, and be the king, uh he let all of Israel look my son Solomon, he's young, he's tender, he's gonna need a lot of help. Let's start filling up the treasury of the Lord's house so that when he becomes king, everything's there. They had brass and iron. The Bible says they, they stopped weighing it. Uh it, it was it was just beyond human comprehension, how much they amassed together so that when Solomon became king, David's plan was, I, I want him to have as much as possible ready to go so he can just go serve God and, 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 and it'll be a great thing. David wasn't upset because God said no. David saw that as an opportunity. Well, I, I can't do that, but I can do this, so I'm gonna serve God the best I can. How many are understanding that? There's the example. There is the heart and the spirit God wants us to have. Um, Going back to Acts chapter 16, I stated God always has a plan. God's plan is not always our plan. Therefore, I must be yielded. I, I must be yielded enough to always trust God's plan happily. Okay, Lord, I don't understand but I know you're God and I know you're good and I'm gonna trust you. God's not always gonna give us what we want, when we want it and how we want it, but God's always a very, very good God. Has anybody here ever gotten frustrated with God and and a little impatient with God about something? Anybody? Uh, That's just human nature. Uh, Trina and I got married in 1984. Uh, We got married in June. And in the, uh, on September 30th of that year, uh, we moved from Pennsylvania to upstate New York, and I became the youth pastor at Heritage Baptist Church of what was then in East Palmyra, New York. It's now Palmyra, New York. Um, and so we, we moved there. Uh, as we got settled in, uh, we, we got on the church insurance policy. They had Anthem, Blue Cross, all that kind of stuff. And uh, shortly after we moved there... Uh, we found out that Trina was expecting our first child. So we had, we had been married about three months or so when we moved there. Shortly thereafter, we got there. Uh, Trina got pregnant and so forth. And Trina's due date... Uh, was early June of the following year, 1985. Uh, I I think it was like June the 4th or 5th uh, was her due date. There was another couple in the church, and the girl's due date was exactly the same as Trina's. We went to the Lamaze classes together and learned how to breathe and all that kind of stuff together. I remember sitting in the class and they were talking about, you know, sometimes ladies go through you know, uh, labor and all that kind of stuff. And then they still end up having a C-section. And I remember looking at her and I said, that's exactly the way you're going to do it. And she said, nah, there's no way that's going to happen. And that's exactly the way that she did that. Um, but the other couple, they had their baby uh, at the end of May. Uh, it, came, it came about a week or so early. And uh, you know, Trina and I were excited, it was our first child. We had no idea if it was a boy or a girl. I was hoping it was a boy because I had already told everybody it was and, and uh, so forth. But we were very excited and we had the nursery set up and so forth. And uh, May finished and the other couple got their baby, but we didn't. And we're, we're still waiting on it. And Trina's due date came and it went and uh, there, was no, there was no baby. And had lots of false labor. We were back and forth to the hospital at the doctor's instructions several times, and each time he said, This is it. Uh, one night, one, we spent the entire evening at the hospital, uh, and uh, you know, it was just like, Man, this is it. And at three or four o'clock in the morning, the contractions just stopped, and they sent us home. Um, we just kind of got to the point we just thought it was a fluke, and she just had a lot of weight gain. There was no baby coming and it, it, I mean, we were almost into July and there was no baby. Um, she was overdue. The doctors kept checking. They said that there was no fetal distress, and as long as that was the case, they said, uh, you know, let the baby cook as long as he wants to stay in there uh, until he's done, and, and uh, you know, then we'll pop him out of the oven, that type of thing. Um, and they said, if we sense the fetal distress, then, then we'll uh, go ahead and take the baby, that type of thing. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, well, on a Friday night, uh, June the 28th, uh, Trina woke me up uh, about 11 o'clock at night or so and she said honey can you help me can you rub my back I just feel awful and she was ex- explaining things I said honey maybe you're in labor she said no nah, I've been in you know uh, had the the pains and stuff this isn't it and I'm thinking honey you're 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 two and a half almost three weeks late it, 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 it's just got to be. I called the doctor, and, and he said, "Yeah, she's she's in labor. Uh, take her to the hospital." And I went back to the uh, to where she was laying in bed and said, "Nana, nana, nana, you're in labor." The doctor sided with me, and we went in, and uh, she was in labor all night long. And then the next day, she had a C-section, and there was Tim. Okay, um, it was it was long long month of June. It was a frustrating time. Uh, we were you know, expecting the first child. We were excited about it. And we felt that way with all of them, uh, you know, that type of situation. But here's what we found out. That if Trina would have had the baby the, that one night we went in, uh, it was right around time of her due date. If she would have had Tim that night, uh, she would not have been on our insurance long enough and they wouldn't have covered it. And we would have had to pay for everything. They wouldn't have covered it at all. Um, when Tim was born June the 29th, um, he was now like officially two days beyond uh, you know, everything. Um, so the insurance was gonna ca- cover everything. If he'd have been born on the 27th, we'd have had to pay for all of it. Um, I think if I'm remembering that, if he'd have been born on the 28th, we'd have had to pay for all of it. He was born on the 29th. Wasn't that nice of God? Um, Wasn't that dumb of me for being all frustrated and all that? How many have ever had to go back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry I was an idiot. Please tell me I'm not the only one that did that. Go back to Acts chapter 16 and we're done. They want to go take the gospel to Asia, very needy place. And God said, no, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go there. So they came to Mycenae. Uh, they're, they're scouting the north of that. Uh, they want to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit won't let them. You realize they've been told no not once but twice. And isn't this what they're out to do? They're missionaries taking the gospel, and yet the Lord's closing doors. We're not sure how God told them no, but God's, God's doing that. Paul and Silas could have gotten discouraged and said, what's the point of this? Everywhere we want to go, God closes doors. We can't. Let's just go home and call it a day. Uh, Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Look at your map one last time. That's all the way across the Aegean Sea. They're not even trying to go there. They wanted to go a completely different direction. They get this vision of a man from Macedonia... Uh, saying, come to help us. After uh, After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. God had a new place for them. God made it clear to them, and they happily went. It wasn't where they planned to go. But God was going to do some great things. Some of the greatest churches of the New Testament, the church at Philippi, would be the first church that they would start. And it would be, in my humble opinion, Paul's favorite church. He would write the book of Philippians to them. Um, It was a church that he would brag about to the Corinthians uh, about their faith in spite of their poverty and their generosity and, and their, uh, their, their willingness to give themselves to the Lord. And so much of Paul's great ministry was in front of him, but it, it, it came after God said no twice. You and I just need to have a yieldedness to God so that if God says go, we go. If God says no... We're okay with that. And last but not least, let's, let's seek to cultivate a relationship with the Lord where we are so comfortable in his presence. Not that we're sacrilegious, not that we're you know, talking to God like, hey bro, what's up? But we're, we're comfortable in his presence like a David. We spend so much time there that we're comfortable in the presence of God. We need to stop there tonight. Thanks for being here.